This morning, uh, I am grateful and, and happy to have with us uh, a, a guest here today, uh, two guests, uh, Michael King and Amanda is, is here with us, and they're going to be uh, sharing as we've been talking about how uh, Massachusetts Family Institute is at like this, this uh, intersection of the family, uh, freedom, and, and the church and faith. And so uh, these, these guys are working in this atmosphere in these, these several spheres and just defending and, and, and sharing about the faith and what's happening in this, uh, you know, in this season of life here in our great state of Massachusetts. And so um, we're re really excited to receive them today and to hear from them and be encouraged by them. So uh, you'll see them in the foyer after service. Make sure that you'll stop by and connect. Um, but today it's a great privilege to invite Michael, Michael King with us, who is the Director of Community Alliance at MFI. And so will you guys give him a warm welcome as he comes and shares with us today. Well, good morning. So when I got in my car this morning, I always do this phone keys wallet routine. Right? You guys ever do this so you don't leave your phone keys and wallet at home? So I was looking and I was making sure I had everything I had, you know, for the trip. And I'm looking in the rearview mirror and I noticed I had some scruff and I'm like, oh, forgot to shave. But actually, I need to keep my beard because I was going to tell you, I'm in this, uh, my, my whole family's in this play that uh, we're doing next Saturday. And I just want to do something fun with my family. Uh, we have five children, my wife Ashley and I. And uh, when we auditioned, we got this main, you know, uh, part as the Mudget family in the Pine Tree Riot. I don't know if you guys know the story in Ware, New Hampshire. Uh, right before the Boston Tea Party, they had this Pine Tree Riot in Ware, New Hampshire, where uh, the king wanted all these pine trees for his masts on his ship. Uh, so anyway, that's why I have some scruff. Uh, and on top of that, my wife and I, we, uh, we breed dogs. You guys ever heard of Bernadoodles? Right? So we just had 10 puppies. So I have 10 puppies in my basement. I have a uh, play coming up next week. So I think life is a bit crazy. But um, I'm here to tell you that you're not crazy. You're not crazy for having a biblical understanding of the world. And I want to tell you this morning that you're not alone. And so more than anything else today, I want you to be encouraged. Um, so if you go to the next slide, this is my favorite slide, because this is why I do what I do. And if, oh, maybe it's not up there. Is, there. is there a picture of my family up there? There we go. So this is my family, and my wife Ashley and I have five kids, like I said. I always say, once you have three kids, people start to take notice. And then once you have four, they think you're a little, like, off. And then once you're over four, like, you're just crazy, right? So uh, Jesse is our oldest, Levi, Daisy, Judah and Ezra. So I like to say we have an Old Testament tribe growing at the home. Um, but this is why I do what I do, and I'm sure it's why you do what you do, because family is so important. And how the Lord set up family, how the Lord defined family, is good. It's just naturally good, right? And our culture rails against what is good. So we want to preserve that. So if you go to the next slide, this is our shared mission. We're dedicated to strengthening and protecting the family and the Judeo-Christian values upon which the family is based. Next slide. 
and it is a nationwide partnership. So Massachusetts Family Institute is the local associate of Focus on the Family. Have you guys heard of Focus on the Family, Dr. James Dobson? So we don't bite, right? At least we try not to. Uh, and then we're also aligned with Alliance Defending Freedom. Now this is a $50 million nonprofit of pro bono attorneys that are there to protect your religious liberty. Do you think we need that kind of protection in today's culture? You guys might know the story of that baker in Colorado, right, that was sued for not baking a cake for a homosexual wedding. Now, he just believed his own personal, sincerely held belief that he was not going to make a cake because he believed that marriage was between one man and one woman. And that couple could have just gone down the street and gotten a cake at the next bakery, but they said to Jack Phillips, no, you must bake us a cake. And so it went all the way to the Supreme Court, Alliance Defending Freedom protected Jack, and he won. And then they sued him again. This time they wanted him to make a transgender cake. And he won again. And then they sued him a third time. And he won again. So we're living in a culture that is not so tolerant to our Christian biblical understanding of the world. But we need to fight for these values. We also partner with the Family Research Council. You guys might know who Tony Perkins is. So basically on a national level, they do what we do on a state level. And then there are about 40 Massachusetts Family Institutes in our nation. So there's 50 states, as you know, but 40 states have an organization that will protect your, your religious liberty and the sanctity of life and the family. If you go to the next slide... So we care about the definition of marriage. Next slide. We care about religious liberty. Next slide. And we care about the sanctity of life, both at the beginning of life and at the end of life as well. And we'll talk about all of these subjects this morning. Next slide. So James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in James 1.27, In the eyes of our God and Father, religion that's pure and genuine is to visit orphans and widows in their suffering and to keep yourself from being contaminated by the world. A lot of times we hear that the church should have nothing to do with the government. Have you ever heard that argument? But if we take ourselves completely out of the government, do you think the government might go awry? Absolutely. So we have a responsibility as the church, as Martin Luther King even said, we are the conscience of the state and never its slave. And so why do I read this verse to you this morning? Because I think it tells us why we are supposed to be involved in our government. So if we look at this and we say, okay, religion that's pure and genuine is to visit orphans. Well, think back uh, with me to about 2003, 2004. Do you remember what Massachusetts was the first state to do in the nation? We, were to, we legalized homosexual marriage, right? Now, one of the consequences of that was that there was a charity called Catholic Charities. And Catholic Charities took a stand in terms of, uh, you know, relationships between men and women. And they would say that, you know, if we're going to take, if we're going to put a child out there, if we're going to foster a child, we're going to put it into a family that we believe is, you know, one man, one woman, uh, traditional family. And so they were, uh, instead of going through a whole suit process, they actually ended up closing their doors 
Now, who loses when Catholic Charities, a foster organization, closes its doors? The children, the orphans. And so when we legalize homosexual marriage, we don't always put two and two together that that actually has a negative effect on the orphan. Uh, Also, keep yourselves from being contaminated by the world. We can look at this many different ways, but I'll tell you a story later today in my presentation about what they're teaching our kids in our public schools regarding human sexuality. And we know that Jesus tells us that if we cause one of these little ones to sin, better to have a millstone tied around our neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea. We have a grave responsibility. As wonderful as family is, we have an incredible responsibility as parents and grandparents regarding our children. And so if we send them off into a system that's going to teach them a worldview that is in direct conflict to our biblical understanding of human sexuality, and they come home and they say, Mom and Dad, you're out of touch regarding your traditional understanding of human sexuality, we might need to rethink their education. Because I'm hearing this a lot now as parents come home and they say, Mom and Dad, you're completely out of touch. So we have this responsibility. We need to keep ourselves and our children from being contaminated by the world. Next slide. So I want you to know that you are not alone, even in Massachusetts. Now, you might have been told that Massachusetts is the most unchurched part of the country outside of San Francisco. And I would say that I completely disagree with that. And I want to tell you some reasons why. And I want to take you on a little tour of the local church in Massachusetts. So, If you go to the next slide, I'll just show you some of the places we've been. This is a church in Lawrence, Massachusetts. How many Hispanic churches do you think are in Lawrence, Massachusetts? If you said over 100, you'd be right. There are over 100 just Hispanic churches in the city of Lawrence. Did you know that Lawrence, in 2017, was the first city in Massachusetts to ban recreational marijuana? Now, that might surprise some of you, thinking about some stereotypes you might have of Lawrence. But why, why did that happen in Lawrence? Because 200 people from these Hispanic churches came to City Hall and said, you know what, because of our concern about a, an addiction epidemic among our youth, we don't want this in our city. And so they were successful. Next slide. This is one of the largest churches in Massachusetts called Jubilee with about 5,000 members. Did you guys know there was that large of a church in Massachusetts, let alone in Boston? Next slide. This is Ebenezer. This is a Hispanic church in Lawrence. This is the mother church of those 100 Hispanic churches in Lawrence. Next slide. This is a church in Revere called Eagle Heights, another large church just north of Boston. Next slide. This is an Ethiopian evangelical church. Did you guys know there was an Ethiopian evangelical church in Cambridge? Next slide. This is an 1,100-member Hispanic church in the city of Lynn. Did you guys know there was a 1,000-member Hispanic church in Lynn? And if you go just down the street, there's a 2,000-member Hispanic church in Lynn. 
You feeling like you have some partners here in Massachusetts? Next slide. This is a large church called Evangelical Free Church in Westfield, in the western part of our state. Next slide. This is a Russian Pentecostal church in Westfield, Massachusetts. Did you guys know there was a Russian Pentecostal church? I just thought they were all Russian Orthodox, but goes to show I didn't know anything. Well, this is an 800-member Russian Pentecostal church. And there are several large Slavic churches out in the western part of our state. We've spoken in that church twice. Next slide. This is an uh, event in Marlboro, Massachusetts, where five Hispanic churches came together from Massachusetts with over 3,000 people in attendance. Next slide. This is another large church in Princeton called Heritage Bible Chapel that we've spoken at. Next slide. And lastly, this is a Hispanic church in Waltham. And because of this church and two other Hispanic churches in Waltham, there are currently no recreational marijuana shops in the city of Waltham. Right? So are you just a little bit more encouraged? Right? That you're not alone. And that's just a sampling of the hundreds of churches that we've spoken at in Massachusetts. Next slide. So there's a wonderful story to be told about religious liberty. Now, have you guys heard of this thing called COVID? You have? Well, COVID presented a lot of opportunities to protect religious liberty. Let's go to the next slide. So, do you guys remember the conversation we were having about who is essential and who is not essential? Now, would you just love to raise your hand and say you're not essential, right? Is that something anybody wants to do? But we were having this conversation, and we were finding that the state of Massachusetts was calling certain things essential and certain things not essential that we did not agree with. So did you notice that the liquor store was essential? Did you notice that? Did you notice that the abortion clinic was essential? Did you notice what wasn't essential? The church. And so we met together with our board and we said, you know, we should probably take a stand for the church in Massachusetts. So we did. And there's two really important events that happened. First, down in the city of Worcester, there's a pastor called Pastor Chris Casey. And he's, he leads a church called Adam Square Baptist Church. And across from Adam Square Baptist Church is a liquor store. And the liquor store was open and they wanted him to close his church. And so he decided he was going to keep his church open. So he was criminally charged. Not one time, not two times, but three times. And continued to keep his church doors open. And so what he did is we helped him get an attorney. And he did the things that Christians shouldn't do. What do you think he did? He sued the governor. We shouldn't do that. We're nice people. We should turn the other cheek all the time. So he sued the governor, and he ended up winning, and all criminal charges were dropped. Also, we had grown this group of pastors and churches. We had grown this coalition over the past five years, 
And we put out a letter saying simply the church is essential, and we had over 500 pastors sign the letter. So we sent that letter to the governor while suing him. And on May 18th, under his breath, if you were listening carefully, because we were, Governor Baker said, and places of worship are open at 40% capacity. So we were happy that the governor decided, even though he didn't want to, but in phase one, the church reopened. Next slide. I kind of hit some of these points on the next slide. If you want to just continue. Okay, good. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, in Somerville, really two wonderful stories to tell you briefly. In Somerville, the mayor, Curtis Tony, said that when you go from Medford to Somerville, somehow COVID mutates and uh, you can only have 10 or less people at church in Somerville. And so we said, well, that's discriminating of the church in Somerville. And so we wrote a kind letter to Mayor Curtitoni. We had four Brazilian churches partner with us, and they won. Currently, we're working with a thousand-member uh, Hispanic church called Vida Real in the city of Somerville. They want to start a school at their church. And you know what the city of Somerville school committee said? They said, no way, unless you teach the whole LGBTQ agenda at your Christian school. That's what they literally said. And we said, well, that's against the First Amendment of Vida Real. And so now we have a national uh, attorney organization called First Liberty working with the church. And tomorrow night is when the school committee will vote whether or not they're going to allow this school in Somerville. And we are very encouraged and hopeful that they will do the right thing. But again, we have to fight for these religious liberties because we have these leaders in our towns and cities that have, that they actually said, the school committee said it would be the moral thing to do to shut this school down. Now that's kind of malicious, I think, and not really celebrating the freedom that we enjoy here in, in Massachusetts and in, in America. So we'll keep you posted on that. Next slide. So in Framingham, not too far from here, they told the churches that they could not sing during COVID. Can you imagine? No singing at church. So they went to their city hall and they won. In Fitchburg, they blamed a church for a COVID outbreak. We sued the Board of Health and they won. In New Bedford, they renovated an old Shaw's supermarket. And when you went to the real Shaw's down the street, there was no capacity limit. But, uh, but when you went to the renovated Shaw's that had a church in it, there was a 100-person capacity limit. So again, we sued there. And you might guess, they won. So it might surprise you that even in Massachusetts, we have been successful every single time we've stood for religious liberty. Next slide. You go to the next slide. Wouldn't it be great if all of our schools had a Bible club? I just spoke to a wonderful lady this morning, and she say, she's saying she wants to start a Bible club in Framingham at their school. And uh, we have a, if you go to the next slide, this young lady in the middle, her name is Rosa. She's from the city of Lynn. She, about three or four years ago, wanted to start a Bible club at her school, at Lynn Votech. She put up these posters with Bible verses on them, and you know what the school said to her? Take them down. 
So we spoke at Rosa's church in Salem not too long ago, and she called us and she said, I think this is discrimination. So we wrote a kind letter to her principal. The same day the principal gets the letter, he goes back to Rosa. He says, Rosa, please put your posters back up. Rosa gets her Bible club started, and that spring, she and her club of about 15 students sing a, a worship song in Spanish at their talent show and win first place. That's pretty cool that even in Lynn Votech, the majority of students enjoy a worship song. And they never would have had the opportunity to listen to that worship song unless Rosa took a stand. Next slide. So if you'd like information on how to start a Bible club at your school, you can text the word Bible to 87891. And I don't mind if you take your cell phone out and use it because we want you to get this important information. So again, text the word Bible to 87891. Next slide. You guys might know someone during this time of COVID that might have perhaps lost their job because they had a religious liberty uh, concern regarding the vaccine, right? And they were concerned what goes in their body or what doesn't go in their body, right? My body, my choice, right? But it only seemed to cut one way. And so we said, well, we should probably protect these workers that want to follow their conscience. No matter where you stand on the vaccine issue, I think all of us can agree that we should have the right to know what goes in and what comes out of our bodies. Amen? And so we've been able to help people literally save their jobs because um, we've helped them with their religious exemption. Next slide. You guys might have seen this story. This guy's name is David. He's a young father, about 31. He was at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He was put at the top of the list for a heart transplant because his heart was inflamed. So at the top of the list, Brigham and Women's Hospital decided we were not going to give him a heart. Why? Because he had a religious liberty right to decide what went in his body. And he said, you know, what? I'm not going to take the vaccine. And so Bring Woman said, well, we're not going to give you a heart. And so these are concerns that we are, I mean, you guys know, I'm sure every single one of you has a friend, has an acquaintance that is dealing with this in some way. And we want to protect the religious liberty to be able to choose. Next slide. You know, we talk about human sexuality and religious liberty you guys might know that two, three years ago, the state of Massachusetts passed what's called the counseling ban, right? So that if you're a student that is struggling with human sexuality, that if now if you're a, you want to go to a counselor, you can no longer go to that counselor to get a biblical understanding of human sexuality, that that counselor could literally lose their license for doing that. And the person that's behind this, next slide, is a guy named Samuel Brinton. And a picture tells a thousand words. And the question I have for you today, church, is who should be making laws in our state that have to do with human sexuality? Because if you are not involved in your government, I guarantee you, Sam is. 
And so do you, whose opinion should we as a culture be taking when it comes to something so foundational as human sexuality? Next slide. I want to talk a little bit about the sanctity of life, both at the beginning of life and at the end of life. Uh, next slide. Always a good place to start, which is in the Psalms. David tells us, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I would say that your unformed body is pretty early, wouldn't you? And the fact that the Lord knows you at, your, at the place of your unformed body gives you incredible value. Amen? That the Creator knows you that intimately. So we've been fighting for those that don't have a voice. And two Christmases ago, you guys probably saw this in the news perhaps, that's when your legislators in Massachusetts said this would be the ideal time to pass one of the most egregious abortion bills in our state's history. So while we were celebrating the birth of a Savior coming as a baby, your legislators in Amendment 759 of the Massachusetts budget hid the infanticide bill. So we had put the word out, got people to call, thousands of calls to legislators and the governor. And if you were watching the news closely, you noticed that the governor did what? He vetoed the bill. But unfortunately, there was a two-thirds majority in the House, and they overrode his veto. And now Massachusetts has the most egregious abortion bill in our nation. And so we continue to fight this fight for babies. Next slide. If you want more information on this really important subject, you can text the word SAVE LIFE to 87891. But I want to encourage you. That last picture you saw was us at the Massachusetts State House. And all those red shirts that you saw were us. We outnumbered Planned Parenthood even in Boston. You are not alone. Sometimes when we watch the media, we think we're alone. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually might be the majority. Next slide. So again, text the words SAVE LIFE to 87891 to learn more. Next slide. Now, when we talk about the sanctity of life, we also talk about the end of life, because we have this thing called physician-assisted suicide. You might have heard of this in Massachusetts. Now, this is a bill that hasn't become law, but I think you would agree with me that as Christians, we probably shouldn't legalize suicide in Massachusetts. And church, this might not affect you in your personal life, but it might affect your neighbor. And I think we're called to love our neighbor, right? We're supposed to interact with our neighbor. And so if we have a law that would negatively impact our neighbor, we should probably be concerned about it. You know, there was this mom from California that came out to the hearing on this about two years ago. 
She uh, is in her 40s. She's got four children. She's, again, lives in California where they've legalized assisted suicide. And she wanted to get chemotherapy for her cancer. She calls her insurance company and they say, no. But we'll give you these pills. They will take your life. But you'll have no pain. She said, well, how much are those? Next slide. So is that what a mom of four children is worth? When our creator gives us value to our unformed body, should we not give a mom of four more value than $1.20? And yes, church, it does come down to money. Greed of money is the root of all evil, as we're told. And so, church, if we step out of our government, this is the kind of nonsense we get. And church, we have, we have made huge strides in palliative care and hospice care, where we can manage pain, right? For those that are elderly and sick. And we don't need to go to this extent. Next slide. You know, during COVID, there's been a lot of interesting school trends. You might have noticed this. Um, in 2020, 37,000 kids left the public school. That's 5% of the public school all of a sudden vanished. You might ask the obvious question, where did they go? Well, 4,000 of them went to parochial schools because a lot of parochial schools kept their doors open. And most of them went where? They went home. Maybe where they should go. Homeschooling went through the roof during COVID. In 2020, it was 1.5% of the school population was homeschooled. By the end of 2020, it was 12.1%. It was an 800% increase. And that trend has continued where now 40 to 60% of those that started homeschooling during COVID are saying, you know what, I might just continue to homeschool. We're also seeing a lot of churches starting learning pods. And I can tell you more about that if you're interested in that idea. But specifically, it's not starting a school, it's just starting a very simple idea, which is basically a glorified uh, homeschool co-op at your church. Next slide. So I mentioned this. This is amazing. I mean, I think Massachusetts is probably in the top tier of the growth in homeschooling uh, in the nation. Next slide. You guys know the MIAA, I believe, Massachusetts uh, Interscholastic Athletic Association. So if you're part of a public school, you are definitely part of the MIAA if you play a sport in middle school or high school. Did you know that every student athlete now in Massachusetts has to sign the Equity and Diversity Pledge from the MIAA? Now, it might sound fine, diversity, equity. These are good things. Well, you might have heard the story of Leah Thomas recently in the news, the swimmer from UPenn. Now, when you look at Leah Thomas, it's pretty obvious that there is a difference between biological men and biological women. Would you agree? Would you also agree that Leah Thomas might actually have an advantage? And if you're a woman athlete, wouldn't you be the first one to step up and say, 
maybe we should rethink this. Now, why do I bring up that example? Because you need to sign that pledge saying, I'm okay with Leah Thomas being on my biological female team before you start playing that sport. Now, what if you're a woman that does really well at basketball and you should be getting a scholarship or make the all-star team, but that was taken from you because a biological boy was on your team? Are we haters for having that kind of perspective? I don't think so. I think it's just biological, right? Next slide. We've also seen in our schools that they've been teaching stuff about sex ed that we would say is not medically accurate and definitely not age appropriate. And you've probably seen this as well as I. And this is happening in pre-K through 12th grade. Next slide. We're also seeing, as you, I'm sure, saw mandated masks with no tolerance policies. I was talking to a parent in Sharon, Massachusetts. Her 10-year-old son had asthma, went to the doctor, could not get any kind of exemption, medical exemption, because of the asthma. You imagine a 10-year-old kid wearing a mask all day with asthma. You just can't have these zero-tolerance policies. And so what's happened is a lot of our parents and a lot of parents outside of the church have now started to look for alternative school options. And if you're one of those parents or grandparents, you can text the word school option to 87891. We put together a list of 100 different options in Massachusetts, including Veritas. Next slide. We're dealing with this bill at the State House called the Sex Ed Mandate. They call it an act for healthy youth. You see how they play on words. But it's really a sex ed mandate that would give Planned Parenthood direct access to your children in pre-K through 12th grade. And mandate it. Next. Uh, and if you want information on this, text the word education to 87891. Next slide. So as I mentioned, Planned Parenthood is behind a lot of the sex education. And does that even make any sense when Planned Parenthood makes all of its money off of what? Or a lot of its money off of abortion. So if they're teaching safe sex in school, does it make any sense that that would be a good business plan? Because don't they need unwanted pregnancy? Right? See the logic or the breakdown in logic there? So maybe something else is going on. And if you listen to Monica Klein, who used to teach sex ed with Planned Parenthood, she said, once you addict a 10, 11, 12-year-old to birth control, you've got a client for life. That's exactly what's happening. Next slide. They are redefining abstinence. Abstinence, as you know, means two words. We can easily define it. We don't need Webster's Dictionary. It means to abstain. And does it work 100% of the time? Yes. Right? That's probably your easiest question you've asked all day. 100% of the time, but what are they really teaching is abstinence in our public schools? Next slide. This is an entire list of all the different ways Planned Parenthood says you can be safe. Next slide. And this is another list. And this includes things like the Depo shot, which is a three-month shot of hormone birth control that you can get pumped into your 12-year-old girl's arm without parental consent. 
And so it's become dangerous in a way, right? For us just to send our kids off into a system that doesn't necessarily respect your parental rights. You know, we're dealing with a young girl. She's 14. She's been on puberty blockers now for two years. And it's been very difficult to find her a counselor, but we have found her a counselor that has a biblical understanding of human sexuality. And now she's on a road to healing. But where did she get confused? At school. Next slide. You guys might have heard of the family tree. Well, in Lynn, they're now teaching the sexuality tree. And I won't go farther into it. You can ask me more if you'd like at the end of the service. Next slide. This is what they're teaching on gender identity. And I'm sure if there's students in here, you've probably seen this in your curriculum called the gender-bred person. And this teaches that your sex and your gender are two completely different things. So when we say it's not medically accurate, we are meaning that. That somehow your gender has nothing to do with your anatomy. That your gender is what you think you are, and your sex is what you are anatomically. Next slide. This is what they teach in preschool, the gender unicorn. With five different spectrums. Now, if you're a four-year-old, I know it was a long time, some of us were four, but would you ever know anything about a spectrum between male and female? You know, Governor DeSantis is getting a really hard time right now, right, for taking this curriculum out of kindergarten through third grade classes, but you can see why that might not be a bad idea. Next slide. This curriculum is in our high schools. We got this from a parent on the North Shore. And if you read it carefully at the top, this really tells the whole story. Our sexuality and gender identity are not set in stone. Oh, really? Is, is that medically accurate? In fact, people's identities can be fluid. The spectrum can help you visualize how you feel at any given time. Mark how you identify today on each line. But don't feel limited. It's okay to mark something different when? tomorrow. So please, is it medically accurate that your gender can change in 24 hours? And church, a lot of our culture would look at me and say, Mike, you're very insensitive. You might even be a bigot. But imagine with me if you were a 12-year-old tomboy, and five years ago even, you never questioned your human sexuality. But now you got this. Now you got peers on social media saying this is completely normal. Right? And now that tomboy starts to ask a question. And perhaps that tomboy even starts taking puberty blockers, which could sterilize her young body. And we know that by the time that tomboy reaches 19, 90% of those tomboys will say, I am actually a girl. But at 12, somebody confused her. She took the puberty blockers, and now she's sterile and cannot have children. And we don't always think about it that way, but I wanted to tell you that this morning to give you maybe a different understanding that this might actually be abuse. Church, if we remove ourselves from the public sector, from the government, are we allowing our kids to be polluted, contaminated by the world? Next slide. 
They're also getting these panorama SELs called social emotional learning surveys in our schools. You might have heard of this. Social emotional learning, doesn't that sound terrific? It's really a way to know whether or not your child is part of the group think at school. Next slide. I mentioned this earlier, but we have really been able to help families find therapists that will draw the line and say no puberty blockers. And we'll actually have a biblical understanding of gender identity. You might be surprised how hard that is to find. But if you know kids that are confused, I want you to reach out to me. We want to help. Next slide. I want to encourage you. Some of the stuff I, I said is kind of deep and kind of hard to hear sometimes. But in the city of Worcester, this is ground zero for a really amazing, historic, unprecedented success we've been having on this issue. In, uh, Thursday night in 2019, in February, I went down with 80 people, many pastors as well. We went down to the school committee. This was us. I took this picture at the meeting. Planned Parenthood wanted to pass their sex education at Worcester. We said no. We read right out of the curriculum from Planned Parenthood. And wouldn't you know, we won. And so for that year, no Planned Parenthood was taught in the Worcester Public Schools, of which there are 42 schools. And here's some pictures from the night. Next slide. Full house. Next slide. Should we be going to our school committee meetings? Amen. Next slide. Well, be encouraged. We've been working this past year to get kids out of sex ed in the city of Worcester. Because do you think Planned Parenthood just stopped after 2019? No. Last spring, they passed what's called the three R's. Now, again, play on words. What do you think of when you think of the three R's? Reading, writing, arithmetic. But this is rights, respect, responsibility. And this is the new Advocates for Youth sex ed that they passed in Worcester. We told them if you pass this last spring, you will spark the largest opt-out movement in the history of Massachusetts. And that prophecy came true. And now the number is actually 3,405 children in the K through 12 grades of Worcester, Massachusetts have now said, I'm out of sex ed. And now we're seeing 10 more cities and towns start their own opt-out movement and we're seeing parents getting more engaged and saying, you know what, I got to get my kid out of that class. So we want to work with you. If you know kids, grandkids still in, in the public school in these classes, just like in these towns, text the word education to 87891. We want to work with you to start an opt-out movement in your town or city. Next slide. So... I have a couple minutes left, but this is, this is a good story. Why do I show this picture? Because Planned Parenthood seems to be a little intimidated by what we're doing in Worcester. And we've worked with 25 Protestant churches and 16 parishes, Catholic parishes, uh, in Worcester, using, uh, having the clergy partner with us. Now, Planned Parenthood said, you know what, that's a great idea. We should have the clergy okay our curriculum. And so, top Left-hand corner, this is a, uh, this person goes by the name of Uncle Becky. She is a Jewish rabbi. And we also have, to the right, uh, Caitlin. She is a reverend, the Reverend Caitlin. Now, what does the Reverend Caitlin do? 
for her day job. She's an advocate for NARAL, which is an abortion uh, organization. And here we have Martha Schick. Martha Schick is the youth pastor in the North Shore, but what, who did she used to work for? A journalist for the Boston Globe. And so you can see as Planned Parenthood pulls out their clergy and tries to convince our culture that what they're doing is right. Again, if we pull out of the culture, this is the clergy that replaces you. Next slide. So when you text the word education to 87891, you'll get a link to this sex ed map that we are currently putting together, because you probably know that if you try to ask for this information from your school, you might have a hard time getting it. And so we've done public records requests to every single town and city in Massachusetts, 351 of them, and are actively populating this uh, map so that you can find out what's being taught in your school. Next slide. We also encourage, here's just some of the detailed information you'll get when you go to that sex ed map. We can kind of go through this next slide, but there's a lot of great information there. Go to the next slide. And just more detailed information. Uh, it's very helpful to parents. Next slide. If you're on Facebook, uh, go to Massachusetts Informed Parents, um, and you'll get a lot of great information there. Massachusetts Informed Parents. Next slide. We're happy to do a parent forum for you. So if you're a parent concerned about these issues, you want to learn more about this particular issue, uh, let us know. We'll, we'll do a parent forum for you either online or in person. Next slide. Uh, just real quick, again, if, if we pull out of the public sector, again, this is what happens. Did you know they just passed polygamy in Somerville? That's now legal in one city in Massachusetts. Next slide. Um, I, I just want to touch on this super briefly. Uh, this is a fight that continues to go on since 2016. I know even in the church, you know, there's, there's different opinions, obviously, on this issue. Um, not talking here so much about medical as we're talking about recreational and coming at it from a perspective of youth, a youth addiction epidemic. Uh, so if you go to the next slide, I really just want to show you one or two pictures here. Go to the next slide just to encourage you. Um, you know that um, Hispanic church I told you about in Waltham? This is them at the city hall, okay? Next slide. And I took all these pictures, so I didn't like take them off of Google or something, right? Uh, here's in Lynn, you know, I told you those 1,100 member churches. This is them at their mayor's office. Next slide. Uh, you know, I talked about Lawrence being the first city in Massachusetts to ban recreational marijuana. This is the church at the city hall. Next slide. Uh, this is also the church. This was in the overflow room because there was no room left in the city chambers. Next slide. And this is a picture of the city hall, uh, city council. If you can see closely, some of them have their hands on their cheeks because they're ready to go to bed. It's about 1130. They've been hearing sermons from Hispanic pastors all night. And uh, I took this picture while I was in line waiting to speak. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, I put Luke 18 there because that's a story of the widow that goes before the judge and says, I'm not leaving until you grant me my request. And so it's biblical to be somewhat annoying. Right? I like to call it pleasantly persistent. Next slide. I've coined that phrase, so if you use it, you have to let me know. No, I'm kidding. So be encouraged. Uh, what's going on in Lawrence with the church, right? Uh, what's going on in Worcester? 
ground zero for kids edu getting educated and saying, you know what, I want something that's medically accurate, age appropriate. Uh, in Lynn, starting Bible clubs, outnumbering Planned Parenthood at the Boston State House. There's many reasons to be encouraged, right? Next slide. So please, as, as Paul tells us, one way you can get involved here is to adopt your local state legislator. Pray for them, petition them. That's not me telling you that. That's the Apostle Paul. And text the word ADOPT to 87891 to learn more about this. But if you go to the next slide, uh, this is what one church is doing. They have a picture of the state rep, state senator there in their lobby. Because many of us have no idea who our, if we're to be honest, right, have no idea who our state legislator is, have no idea who our state senator is. So have a picture of them in your lobby so that people know who is making these laws in my neck of the woods. Next slide. And Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, I urge then, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for those, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live what? Peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Who would love to live a peaceful and quiet life? Wouldn't that be great? I would imagine all of us should probably be Raising our hands, right? But there's a contingency, right? You can't have a peaceful and quiet life until you do what? Pray and petition, right? Next slide. Solomon tells us when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. I think what Solomon's telling us is you might want to run for school committee. Could that be an interpretation? Next slide. On my table in the back, there's some wonderful resources. I encourage you to just take them with you. Uh, if you want to make a suggested donation of $5, you can do that for this book, Engage the Basity. It's a study guide to many of the issues I've talked about this morning. You can also get the Parent Resource Guide. This is about the transgender issue in our schools. Uh, and there's some other very helpful information in the back. Next slide. Uh, you guys might have heard of the Boston Globe, right? Where you probably heard every story I told you this morning. You guys read in the Boston Globe, right? Not quite. But the New Boston Post, you will read about it. We've started an online magazine that covers a lot of these stories. So if you'd like to be educated on these stories, please um, register with the newbostonpost.com. Next slide. If you'd like to learn more about some of the wins we had on religious liberty, uh, text the word CELEBRATE to 87891. Next slide. And lastly, we were so encouraged about how our relationship with the local church just skyrocketed over the past two, three years. Um, we've had so many victories for religious liberty, and our budget actually went up by 30% last year. And it's the first time in our 30-year history where we're now aiming for a $1 million budget. And it might surprise you that all of these victories were done with a staff of about four to five people. But can the Lord use two fish and five loaves? And so more than anything this morning, I want you to be encouraged, and I hope you are. Because... You're not alone, and you're not crazy. Amen? So please partner with us to not just strengthen my family, but to strengthen your family and to strengthen your neighbor's family.
Because the way the Lord set up the family, the way the Lord set up human sexuality, the way the Lord set up life is good. Not just for you, the church, but for your neighbor as well. Would you just join me in a word of prayer as we close? Lord, I just thank you for this time we could have this morning to gather and to be encouraged. Lord, your word is good. And let us not be intimidated by the world and by the culture to back off because we're more concerned about what people might think about us as opposed to what your word tells us. Help us to walk that path between grace and truth. Lord, that people wouldn't be offended by us, but if they're offended by your truth, well, we just help, Lord, that you would convict their hearts in a way that only you can do. And we thank you, Lord, for just using your church in Massachusetts to stand up for the things that you care about. You dwell, Lord, in the affairs of men. You care about these issues. And the reason we care about these issues is because you care about these issues. So help us, Lord. Give us your favor as we show up at school committee meetings, as we make these decisions regarding our children, Lord. Provide resources, provide ways to educate our kids that maybe we didn't think was possible until we started to look into it. And expressed faith that you could help us, Lord, with something that maybe just seems impossible. Thank you, Lord, for this time this morning. Inspire all of us through your spirit to do your good work. In your son's name, amen. Will you all stand with me? As the worship team comes, we're going to wrap up and close out our service. But the Bible tells us very clearly that we are not of this world. But yet he says in that same passage, we are in the world. Though we are not of this world, we are in this world and we're in this world to make a difference. We're here to be a light in the darkness. And the darkness will not comprehend it, but that's not a problem. We shall continue to move forward in shining brightly for Jesus. Amen. So that was an incredible time to just be able to be informed of what is happening. I encourage you to stop by the table. There's going to be several clipboards there available for you to get connected and, you know, and find out more. But then please just make sure you stop by and connect with Michael and Amanda and talk to them and just express your appreciation and gratitude for them being with us here today. Today. If you have a prayer need, if you have a situation that you would like us to encourage you with and believe uh, in God for that, for you, these altars are open. We don't want to close our service without that opportunity as we know that Jesus is faithful. He is with us. He is for us and not against us. Amen. So may God bless you. Have an incredible week and an uh, empowered week as God goes with you. Let me just pray. Father, bless them be with every person here today. I pray, God, that your word would meet people exactly where they are today. 
Father, I know that there's all this going on around us, but God, thank you that like Isaiah, we have heard today that we're not alone. There's so many who have not bowed their knee to Baal, not have bowed their knee to this world system, but God, that we're trusting in what you've ordained as good. And Father, I pray now as we believe and trust in you, that you would work out the details of our lives and family. And that, Father, you would guide us into your perfect truth. May your holy presence, may the love of God and, and the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us as we go from here. Amen. God bless you.